RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, please do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on all of the social media platforms, search out Crush Performance. We're going to dive right into it today. We have a lot to cover, very little time to do it as we work to wrap up our 2021 themes of talent, talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game. These last few episodes of this season are going to be dedicated to connecting the dots between these two incredible areas of human performance. And it's no mistake, it was inevitable they collide right here on Crush Performance. Uh, These worlds come together because they're all intertwined. You can't have one without the other. And understanding how they each work together can really help us push human performance forward. So we're bringing it all together here in the last few episodes of 2021. And today is no exception. We're going to go back to a conversation that we had about the coaches eye and coaching bias. Coaches, I believe when it comes to the developmental levels of performance are the key to moving things forward. You know, we've talked about how dysfunctional things are. We've talked about the dropout rates. We've talked about the injury rates. There are a lot of good things going on in youth sport on top of all of that, despite all of that. So much good comes from sport, but we've got some serious work to do if we're really, really going to push it to the next level, keep kids involved. And again, the lucky spinoff or the the pleasant spinoff of having more kids staying in sport It's going to be maybe more kids wanting to chase down the dream of high performance. And there's nothing bad that can come out of that. Why not? You guys all know that we're huge proponents of of thinking big, dreaming big. Why not? Let's see how far you can go. We know that very few athletes get to uh, play at a major college or university. And we know that even fewer get to go on to represent their countries on international competitions like the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games or the Pan Am Games. And we know even fewer get to go on to play professional sport. But here's the deal. Somebody's got to play. Could it be that the talent levels in our college sport, our national sport, or even our professional sport are not as high as they could be? If we had a better developmental system in our grassroots right up to the mid-range development ages, is it possible? I seriously think so. I don't think we're seeing the best talent at the highest levels. There are certainly highlights. There are, we know there's special performers up there for sure, but I don't think overall that we're seeing the best talent at the top levels. As a matter of fact, I'll comfortably say it once again here on the show. I've been saying it for years. When it comes to sport development and the long-term development pathways, we're destroying more talent than we're creating with the greatest of intentions sometimes. As soon as youth sport turned into this industry of private facilities, private lessons, travel teams, rep teams, and all these major talent ID tournaments, we were in big, big trouble. And it's starting to really show right now. So how do we turn it around? Well, we 
have to talk about it. And like we say on the show all the time, you can't fix a problem if you truly don't understand the problem. And that's what the crush main themes are all about. And this year, 2021, talent, talent ID, and the crush brain game, figuring those two out in the best way we possibly can so we can move forward with purpose. So let's get to it here. I'm very, very happy to welcome back to the show, Dr. Alex Roberts from the Department of Sport Coaching and Development at the School of Allied Health and Human Services and Sport at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Roberts, thanks so much for joining us here again on Crush Performance. How are things going down under in Australia? Oh, doing pretty well at the moment. Thanks for having me back. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, well, our last conversation was very, very interesting. You know, this whole idea of talent and talent ID um, is really a critical conversation in our sporting world right now. But incorporating the coaches and talking about the coaches a little bit more um, has been really helpful. And I think the whole idea of your research on the coach's eye and coaching bias really, really hit a chord with our audience because it's something that maybe uh, a lot of people weren't quite familiar with or or really didn't understand what it was all about, but it's a real thing. Maybe we could quickly just sort of recap this whole idea of the coach's eye and coaching bias. Um, whether we know it or not, we have tendencies to sort of lean one way. And a lot of that, I think, has has a lot to do with our, our previous experiences as a coach. Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, well, I'm really glad that this topic has resonated with people. I'm hoping that, yeah, I can just open some doors and get people thinking maybe in a little bit of a different way. Um, but yeah, this idea of, yeah, coach bias, coach's eye. Um, another way to look at it is something called heuristics, which is basically those rules of thumb that we use for making decisions. You know, like I'm walking into the shops this evening to buy something for dinner. Um, you know, I'm really tired. I'm going to pick you know, a pre-frozen meal or something that's only going to take me 10 minutes to cook without even really thinking about. That's just my rule of thumb is I'll go to my easy option. Same thing with coaches. We come in and there's so many decisions that coaches are making every day, let alone in talent ID, that, yeah, they're going to pick a lot of the time, essentially, that easy option, the first option, the one that they know is going to work. So, yeah, heuristics, biases, however you want to look at it, um, yeah, it's all based on previous experience and what you know is going to work. Why would you pick something that you're not sure if it's going to work if you have the option of picking something that's a known quantity that you know will meet your purpose? Yeah, no, it's very, very interesting. And for the coaches who are out there, whether they're working in grassroots development or whether it's in the high performance pathways, this is something that you just need to be awareness. This is part of self-awareness, you know, and, and I think that's important. Hey, Dr. Roberts, have you found that coaches who, who um, have these conversations or who, who you've worked with personally um, wind up having a better, uh, I guess, perspective on, on athlete selection or, or even their ability to coach athletes of, of different areas or with different skill sets? Yeah, most definitely. We find that basically reflection is a huge part of coaching. All of the best coaches um, you know, make a point to actively reflect on what decisions they've made, what the impacts of those have been, you know, in whatever context they're working in. And so, yeah, when I'm working with coaches and talking to them about talent identification, sometimes you can just see that light bulb go off during our conversation. They'll be going through and be like, yeah, I picked this athlete because of A, B, and C. And I'll just sit there and be like, all right, well, what about D? This other coach said that D was really important. And again, you just see this light bulb go off and they go, oh, yeah, I hadn't even considered that. That's not something that I look for or it's just a given. I assumed every athlete had that. 
Um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden that shifts their perspective on what's important, what they should be looking for. And yeah, as we talked about last time, even what things can be developed, you know, all of a sudden they realize that, oh, you know, mental toughness is something that I can actually teach an athlete. So maybe I shouldn't just discount them because, yeah, now I've really thought about it. Right. And then that's pretty uh, that's pretty important for coaches to understand. And they're. There seems to be certain traits to the elite coaches, you know, the coaches that continually um, produce high performing athletes that go on to play college or go on to make national teams or at the highest levels, coaches that continually are able to create environments where their athletes and teams succeed. I have to think that right along the developmental pathways an athlete goes through, Coaches go through similar developmental pathways in learning how to coach, learning how to communicate. And as you said, uh, the elite coaches have certain traits like that, that ability to reflect. And then maybe even it refines more. What exactly do they reflect on? I'm sure as coaches move through the system, get mentoring, get exposed to other coaches, those things all become a little more refined just as an athlete's skill set would. Yeah, I mean, we can even look at that coach development yet yeah, in a very similar way. Like you said, that we look at athlete development. You know, we have spend all this time making sure that our athletes are in the right environments with the right people around them and the right support systems to make sure that they have the psychological support that they need and, you know, access to sports medicine, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we don't necessarily stop and think too much about the coaches um, and what they're doing. And in turn, that adds to some of that bias, some of those heuristics, because again, if as a coach, I've been working my way up through the ranks from, you know, coaching under 11s, under 13s, so on, so on. And I don't get any support or development um, from other coaches or mentoring or anything like that until I'm up, you know, in the big leagues or, you know, state levels, that kind of stuff. All of a sudden I've missed a bunch of my development. I've just kind of been doing it alone, figuring out what works and what doesn't for me, but I haven't had that opportunity yet to reflect, to talk to other people, to get those other perspectives and opinions. And then it becomes um, just this basically, yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy, a kind of cycle thing. I'm going to keep picking the athletes that I know work without being exposed to those other pathways to success. Because, you know, I know you've spoken to um, Joe about it a bunch of times, Joe Baker, um, you know, Development is nonlinear. Um, there are so many different pathways that athletes can take to reach that top level. If coaches aren't being exposed to these different pathways and different ways of doing things, then their athletes are going to be very limited to this one potentially linear pathway that is only going to suit very few athletes. Yeah, and think about this too, Alex. You know, athletes that are in a particular environment or community uh, or even a country working for a junior national team or a national team or a college and the coaches really have a tendency to select a certain type of athlete. There's so much talent that's just being pushed to the side and maybe ignored that will never, ever really see its true potential. That's one of the big crimes here, I think. The one of potential big crimes. Definitely. You know, like in a lot of things, right place, right time is such a huge part of sport. And again, being in front of the right coach at the right time can make such a difference. Um, you know, I've heard stories of athletes that, you know, have shown up to, you know, a state level trial and the coach that would normally have been coaching the team has just lost their job or moved on or whatever. Um, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're now working with a new coach that they hadn't worked with previously or the coach swaps halfway through a season, something like that. And then, yeah, again, you've got these athletes that are now stuck 
working with a coach that wasn't the one that picked them or the one they thought they were going to be working with. And it can just create a huge mess there, personality clashes. And of course, you've got athletes that have then been picked on qualities that that coach doesn't know how to work with or doesn't like to work with. And so, yeah, again, a huge part of that right place, right time and right coach, right time. Sure. And we've seen it actually in collegiate and professional sport time and time again, and at the national Olympic style sort of uh, competition and sporting levels as well, where athletes will actually gravitate towards a school or they'll actually sign with a professional team because of who's coaching there, the style of coaching or the success rate of the coach or whatever it might be. There's a connection there somehow. So you do see that. And when there's a coaching change and somebody else comes in, then there is that unease. You know, the coaching environment is as competitive as the athlete environment right now, especially when you start getting up to the higher ranks. What a massive leg up it would be for coaches who really understand how to identify um, how to relate to and how to coach athletes with different skill sets. I think it would just, it's such a tremendous opportunity right now for the coaches who get it. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, again, we talk about that all the time with athletes. You know, we want athletes that are well-rounded. We want athletes that, um, you know, aren't necessarily specialists too early. We want them to have the broad skill set, the broad perspective, different ways of looking at things that they gain from playing different sports and playing different positions. But again, we don't necessarily look at that for coaches. The best coaches are traditionally considered to be the ones that have played this particular sport at a high level and have, um, yeah, again, worked their way up through the coaching ranks or if they've been a high-level athlete, often just dropped into some of those high-level coaching positions. But they're considered to be expert coaches in this sport because of their knowledge of this sport. Yet it's kind of a double standard because, yeah, we look at athletes and athletes need to have that broad range of skills. So just imagine what would happen with coaches if we had coaches that have experience coaching across multiple sports. We've got our ice hockey coach that has also coached, you know, junior level basketball teams. I'm not saying a coach needs to coach, you know, NBA and NHL and whatever levels, but yeah, if coaches get that experience coaching different sports and different levels and different athletes, it's going to make them a much better, well-rounded coach. So then when they get up to those higher levels and, you know, in our example before, we have a coaching change halfway through the season or between seasons, between when people have signed and they actually show up to start training. If you've got a coach that knows how to work with a wider variety of people, then we don't end up with that, you know, talent loss, talent wastage of people dropping out quitting, you know, switching sports even just because they don't get along with the coach because the coach is now far better equipped to handle whatever athletes they've got and to help whatever athletes they've got in front of them reach their highest level of potential. We're talking with Dr. Alex Roberts from the Department of Sport Coaching and Development at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. Such an important conversation. You know, uh, one of the common themes from our earlier series in our talent and talent ID theme here on Crush Performance um, was this idea of collaboration, uh, Dr. Roberts. And pretty much every guest that we've spoken to to this point in our talent and talent ID series, they all feel we need to have a greater collaboration between coaches of different levels. And one, to really, really support the coaches at the lower levels who might be just coming in or volunteering to give them a better idea of what's really important at a certain age of development or a certain range of development 
but also to let them know where their athletes are going in the future if they're not quite familiar with, you know, the pathways of the sport. And I think that's kind of what we're hearing here. You know, coaches that can, you know, are really more familiar with the developmental levels of a particular sport, but also from athletes who come in from different sports who have multi-sport backgrounds, man, it just really, really rounds out the abilities of that coach. And I think that collaboration would be a key component to this. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so I'm actually doing a really interesting program at the moment, um, looking at coach development. And one of the things we're doing is we've got a bunch of coaches from, I think it's about 40 different sports that are all at theoretically the same level. But once you get them in the, in the same room, you realize that they have very different experiences of, you know, what high performance is, what pathways look like for different athletes. And putting these coaches in the same room and seeing them being able to learn so much from one another, even though they're from completely disparate sports. So, you know, we'll have a diving coach talking to a field hockey coach who's talking to a baseball coach. Um, And they're hearing about a lot of the similarities in their pathways. And you're hearing, you know, this junior diving coach saying, oh, I had no idea that, you know, high performance in, you know, whatever sport looks essentially exactly the same as it does in my sport. Yes, the sport is different. You know, the technical and tactical skills we need are different, but the coaching is the same. The requirements that the athletes have and, you know, what coaches need to do in order to develop these athletes, again, to their greatest potential is the same, no matter yet what level the coach is working at, what sport they're working in. An athlete's an athlete. Um, you know, same as good coaching is good coaching. So if we can just, yeah, give these coaches more opportunities to talk to each other, like across levels, across sports, um, that there's so much learning there for these coaches from each other, which is a lot more than, you know, any coach developer can give them. They just need that opportunity to, yeah, learn from each other and find out they're not that different and they can draw on inspiration from other areas. Oh, I can just imagine the collaboration in that room. That would have been fantastic to be there, hear coaches from that many different sports just talking development. I mean, ultimately, it's a human thing, right? Humans learn and the great responsibility of the coaches, I think, is to create an environment that is conducive to learning uh, for that particular athlete. Now, when you've got four or five athletes that are slightly different, that's where that flexibility and agility of a coach becomes really, really powerful. I love this conversation. Yeah, I mean, we expect classroom teachers to do that every day, right? right. 20 to 30 kids that are all at very different levels. And you know, again, from preschool all the way through to year 12, that's basically our athlete development timeline, right? And we're expecting coaches to you know, work typically with a smaller number of athletes um, but to have a similar result as we do with our classroom teachers. So I think that's another really important aspect of, I guess, this coach development and you know, collaboration between different areas is we really need to think more about coaches as teachers, even at that higher level. You know, you can almost equate your you know, NFL coach to a university lecturer um, if you really want to. It's, it's teaching, it's developing, it's supporting these athletes through what they need and being able to identify both the talented athletes to be able to give them the push they need. Again, think about classroom gifted and talented work. Um, You know, we give extension opportunities to the students that need it and we give extra support to those that are dragging a little behind. Why can't we do the same in sport? Why do we focus only on that top end on those gifted and talented and just leave the other ones 
to flounder behind because they're just not good enough. If teachers can do it with 30 kids in the classroom, why can't coaches be doing that with, you know, 15 athletes in their team? Yeah, I agree. And I love this concept. And I'll throw another curveball into the conversation is, you know, the different rates of development, right? So we, you're right. We focus so much on the athletes that are ready right now when a lot of the greatest talent may, might just not be, might be hiding. It's just maybe not ready at that point in time yet. And in the junior high school and the junior college is sort of that kind of a time frame where athletes really start coming into themselves. And we know that some of the greatest talents who ever have competed in sport were late developers. And that is something I believe that we really have to be conscious of, you know, as we move through as coaches, the, the developmental pathways. And so you have this beautiful community of volunteer coaches at the grassroots level. And then, you know, as kids start pursuing, you know, recreational sports, that that continues. But as kids get into the high performance pathway and maybe take a Y in the road towards high performance to see if they could chase down a dream, the coaching gets a little more serious. The coaches might be a little more full time. Um, but that collaboration across those lines, I still think is incredibly important across the board. And and I think that goes for every single sport as well. Yeah, absolutely. If a you know higher level coach doesn't know where the athlete has come from and what the junior pathways look like, again, how are they supposed to support that athlete at a higher end? And you're know, bringing it back to that idea of talent ID and the coaches knowing what to look for. If I'm sitting there as a coach, completely in my little bubble of you know JV, um, you know JV whatever sport. Um, and that's the only thing I see. I don't see athletes before that point. I don't see athletes after that point. I just want my little bubble here. Then how am I supposed to know, you know, what I do is going to um, benefit my athletes later on? How am I supposed to know that, you know, athlete Y who's come into my team has actually only played my sport for a year? They're going to be a starter on my JV team, but yeah, they've only played for a year. So doesn't that, you know, count for something as far as talent ID? They are that good that early. But again, if I don't have that broader context to know where they've come from and, you know, what their junior coach has been doing, then, yeah, it, it doesn't give me a whole lot to work with. It's going to really limit me as a coach and, again, how I'm supporting these athletes and who I'm picking onto my teams at different points. Um, you know, just from a personal perspective, when I'm picking a team, I will always ask my athletes, what other sports they're playing. And this is at every level. You know, I've coached from, you know, national down. One of my first questions is what else are you doing outside of this sport? I want to hear that you're doing school and that you're, you know, doing at least one other sport. Maybe not at a high level because, you know, there's only limited hours in a day, but I want to hear that this is not it. I want to know that you've got other things going on, that you're going to be, you know, keeping fit during the off season by playing this other sport, that you're going to be decreasing your injury risk by yet not running up repetition injuries because you're doing something different and you've got something to help blow off steam. Yeah. I know you guys have been talking a lot about mental performance on this podcast. That's a huge part of it is, you know, having an outlet that's not related to this high performance sport for the athletes. Um, and so, yeah, at, as a coach, when I'm identifying talent, that's something that I'm looking for is that they do have this well-rounded perspective. Um, it means that if they don't get selected, it's not going to be the end of the world for them. But it also means that, you know, if something happens later on, if they do get injured or, you know, life circumstances happen, again, they're going to be able to move on with something else. Those that, again, in my experience, I've seen those that 
are super focused just on one sport and, you know, school's just there because it's a way for me to play my sport. Those are the athletes that get injured, that get burnout, that, um, you know, end up with anxiety issues and things like that just because they're so hyper-focused on this one area and, yeah, they have no other outlets. So I think that's a really important part of talent ID that we don't consider. It's not just the talent of the athlete. It's almost the athlete's lifespan. You know, there's no point picking a really talented athlete if they're going to burn out in six to 12 months. We want them there long term. We want, you know, our Tom Brady. We want someone who's going to be in their 40s and still at the peak of their game. Obviously, not everybody can do that. But if we've got athletes that do different sports, have those different experiences, then they're more likely to make it to that level. I mean, we just have to look at, you know, those top four in tennis who have got, you know, Djokovic and Federer and all them. You look at a lot of their developmental histories and they all played other sports growing up. So, yeah, I think that's just a huge part of that talent ID um, at every level, particularly that sort of transition point, you know, that JV varsity level where we're starting to actually say, yes, you're good and you're not very good. We really need to look at that big picture. Yeah, the big picture is is really, really important. We're talking with Dr. Alex Roberts from the School of Allied Health and Human Services in Sport at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. No, that big picture is such an important concept. You know, we you're right. We sometimes get so focused in our world uh, that you'd lose sight of the big picture sometimes. And that's why conversations like this are so great. You know, one of the really interesting areas that that have, have come to light in our talent ID and talent series here in 2021, uh, Dr. Roberts, is the concept of of identifying talent. We're just we're horrific at it. I mean, you know, if we look at all the data and some of the great stuff that Lou has done looking at draft and 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 you know what we should be looking at, what we could be looking at, there's a lot of different theories out there, but you have done an incredible uh study in this area that I thought was Fascinating. I'd love to share this with with our with our audience so everybody can get a better understanding. You know, uh, in one of the first episodes of this series, we had Dr. Joe Baker on from York University. And one of the first things he talked to us about was just this whole concept of talent. What is it? Well, you know, if you were to go out and ask 20 coaches to define talent, you would probably get 20 different uh, definitions. And for our talent conversation, that might be a really good starting place if we're going to try to really get a collaborative, you know, developmental pathway established. Uh, but when it comes to talent ID, I think we have some similar issues there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked a little bit last time I was on about this idea of, you know, forecasting versus selection and, you know, where they fit in with talent ID. Um, and, you know, I actually, as one of my studies for my PhD, did go out and interview 30-something coaches and ask them what their definition of talent was, and I got 30-something different answers. Um, But as a result of that, I sort of sat down and went, well, since all these coaches define talent differently, you know, we all know it's one thing to verbalize something, but then to actually do it. So I decided that I was going to go and get a bunch of coaches, put them in a room together, and basically have them identify a group of athletes and see whether these coaches that were all at the same level, um, so theoretically same level of expertise, um, picking athletes for the same level of competition, would they pick the same athletes? So I got a group of nine coaches that were um, sort of that junior national level. 
um, and a group of athletes. I had about 25 athletes that were all between sort of 13 and 15 years old. So sort of right on that cusp, starting to get selected for junior national squads and that kind of thing. So I had all the coaches, and this was in judo, by the way, so combat sport here, very individual skills. So the um, in this particular case, you know, the skills of the other people in the room didn't really make a whole lot of difference, um, like it would in you know, a team sport or something. But um, got these coaches in the room, had them identify athletes over the course of a camp. So it was a four-day camp. I had them identify athletes morning and evening. And when I say identify, I had them sit down and rate the athletes on basically a scale of one to 11. One was they're going to be an Olympic athlete one day. 11 was eh, maybe not the sport for them. Um, And, you know, let them rate the athletes on that scale again, morning and evening. So morning before they'd seen the athletes for the day and evening after they'd done interacting with the athletes for the day. So after dinner, all that kind of stuff. So theoretically, between evening and morning, they hadn't had any interaction with the athletes. So there was no reason that their perception of the talent or potential of these athletes had changed. What I found was that at the end of four days, only two coaches agreed on the potential or the talent level of these athletes. So out of 25 athletes and nine coaches, only two athletes came out as being even in the same band. So I split the athletes into top third, middle third, bottom third, which I sort of referred to as yes, maybe, and no. So there were two athletes in the yes category. Every other athlete was all over the place. So, you know, one coach might have ranked them as third and another coach has ranked them as 25th. And, you know, other coaches have ranked them, you know, right in the middle at the, you know, 10 to 12 mark. And that was for every single other athlete in the group. And even these top two, weren't just the only two that were in that top third of the athletes, so the top seven or so athletes. Um, And that was after a week or four days of intensive training. Um, And I also found that sort of overnight their opinions were changing. So coaches would finish the day, rank all the athletes, go to bed, get up in the morning and rank them again. And there were athletes that went from being 25 when a coach went to bed to being, you know, four the next morning or vice versa, which again, there'd been no interaction. Nothing had changed. There was nothing that should have changed the coach's opinion of these athletes, except the fact that they'd literally slept on it and kind of woken up the next morning with a bit of a better perspective. I don't want to say better, but a bit of a different perspective on what was going on. And just from observing the camp, you know, sometimes it was pretty obvious, you know, like, again, they're 13. Some of them were just messing around and stuff like that. So they'd get rated really low if they'd been a bit of a terror during the session. Coach sleeps on it, wakes up in the morning, goes, "Eh, yeah, they were kind of annoying yesterday. But, you know, in the scheme of things, they're actually pretty good. Um, Again, or vice versa. Yeah, they had a really good session yesterday, but that was the only time they've sort of shown that level of potential. So I'm going to sort of recalibrate back in. And I just think that's absolutely fascinating because we look at talent selection, talent ID in all these different settings, and how often do coaches have three hours to pick their teams? Um, You know, if we're really lucky, they might have a couple of days. Um, But very rarely do we get more than, you know, three, four hours for the coaches to be picking their teams. And if their opinions change so much between, you know, evening and morning, um, you know, over the course of the camp, it changes completely. We get 360s happening. How can less experienced coaches be expected to do this when our junior national level coaches that have got, you know, on average 12 years of experience, they can't agree? And 
also can't decide because, again, these were very up and down through the whole camp. So, yeah, if, if they can't do it, how are we expecting others to do it and to be correct or accurate in these identifications? Oh, it just oh, blows my mind. Oh, it blows my mind as well. What a fascinating experiment. Oh, very, very sneaky. I love this, actually. What a great, great conversation. So not only... Within one coach, the discrepancy, the changes of opinions, and I think we've all been through that before, but to have that many high-level coaches uh, not being able to see the same thing or identify the same thing or value the same thing in, in players of that level, that is fascinating to me. Now, does that mean that if each one of those coaches were to select their team for whatever sport, you know, if it's the judo or, or karate or the combative sport that they are involved in, if each coach were allowed to pick their, their team, Alex, do you, knowing what you know about coaching bias and coaching strengths, do you think that potentially every one of those, it was nine coaches, right? Do you think that it's yes, nine coaches? Yeah. Do you think that those nine teams that were put together Dale might have the same opportunity to be successful competing at a junior national level, because it sounds like, you know, other than maybe those top two athletes, those teams would be very, very different. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we went and basically just took each coach's, you know, top third, the yeses as of the end of day four of this camp, I think every single athlete would have been selected. Um, even though right. we were only letting each coach take, you know, five or six athletes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like as far as their success, again, I don't really know yet. That's something I'd love to look at a little further. Cause something that I didn't get to do in this study was actually talk to the coaches and find out why they ranked this athlete number one right. and why this athlete was, you know, 25. And more importantly, Hey, yesterday you said this athlete was 24, but now they're number three. Why? What's happened? Maybe he had um, a nightmare or something that night. Like maybe he had a nightmare and maybe like the, maybe he had a nightmare about like a, like a, like a Halloween nightmare or like a Freddy Krueger who has like red hair and maybe the kid with red hair all of a sudden drops out of the ranking. I don't know. Crazy stuff. So I like to think of it more like a Christmas carol. It's the ghost of, you know, <laughs> combat sport futures come in and said, no, this athlete's going to be really good. Right. So you better pick them. Right, right. Yeah. No, isn't that fascinating? Like something, something changed. Maybe it was just, you know, we all know what happened in the plasticity of the mind through sleep, right? Maybe something clicked or, as you mentioned, the, the internal perspective of that coach somehow changed going, okay, hey, look, in the matrix of this group, that athlete, I might have something. And I wonder, you know, based on all your work with coaches bias, I mean, obviously it sounds like a lot of the, the selection process here was, was due to what the coaches felt or how the coaches felt they could best help the athletes. So maybe they're choosing athletes that are in their wheelhouse. That might explain part of it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Again, we talked about that a little last time. Coaches are sort of predisposed to pick the athletes that they think they can develop the best. Again, uh, this junior national group, these coaches, their jobs are relying not necessarily on results, but on development, on performance. Um, you know, if they get an athlete that yeah, has never medaled in an international event and within, you know, the three years that they're working with this athlete, all of a sudden they're medaling, um, you know, hopefully winning, but medaling at any international event, that's what is going to keep this coach their job. Not picking an athlete necessarily, that is currently meddling and maintaining that. Um, so it, it's all about that development. So yeah, it would make total sense that these coaches are identifying the athletes that 
they think they would be able to develop. Yeah. Um, you know, another sort of limitation of the study was that you know they were identifying these athletes, but these coaches weren't going to be working with the athletes afterwards. So, you know, that might have changed a bit too. If I'm picking an athlete for someone else to work with, I'm probably going to pick that a little differently again because, you know, again, I know that my strength is developing the techniques of a shorter athlete and throwing them and teaching them how to do these different throws. Um, But I know that that's my specialty. So if I'm picking an athlete to go to somebody else, I might not pick that because I know that that's something that not many people can do. Um, and yeah, obviously vice versa. If I'm picking for myself, I'm going to pick those athletes that again, maybe don't have those skills because I can teach them that I can develop those skills in that athlete. Right? No, it is a fascinating conversation. We're talking with Dr. Alex Roberts from the department of sport coaching and development at the school of allied health, human services and sport at Latrobe university in Melbourne, Australia, Dr. Roberts, this is an incredible conversation. So let me throw this one at you. You know, um, if, you know, and you kind of mentioned it there, the competitive world of coaching. And, you know, at some level, once you get to a certain level, it is truly about results, right? And it takes a very special organization, I think, to believe in a coach who might be struggling in terms of com- competitive success on the world stage or in a professional sport. So there's a time where winning becomes a priority and then the pressure's on. That's professional, international sport for sure. Um, you know, as much as we talk about talent ID. And you and I kind of, you kind of dropped this bomb on me through our emails leading up to this conversation. So I'm excited to get to this. So we spend so much time identifying the talent of our, of our athletes, as we're just talking about here as an example. We've all been to camps. We've all been to tryouts. We've all been to selection committees and all this sorts of things. So we kind of know that landscape, but to really truly understand how it works is interesting. So as much as the athlete or the coaches sit and analyze athletes at every single level, wouldn't it be interesting if we tried to match from a neutral standpoint, tried to match athletes with the coaches or in maybe a different way to look at it is maybe try to do a talent ID of the coaches, selecting coaches who might work really good within a group. It's kind of like that inverse look, but you know, based on everything we're talking about, there might be some merit to this approach. Do you think? I mean, I think so. I think we need to look, yeah, more carefully at who it is that's actually making these selections and actually working with the athletes. Again, we touched on it a little bit last time I was on, um, you know, about, you know, recruiters seeing things differently potentially to the coaches and, you know, the um, the fact that, yeah, I'm as a coach, I'm going to pick the athletes that I can work with. But particularly when we're looking at, you know, junior levels and things like that, our volunteer mum and dad coaches that, you know, have maybe just, again, risen through the ranks just through the fact that they're there and they show up year after year. So all of a sudden you've got a coach with no formal development, which in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but you've got a coach with no formal development who's now got 10 years of experience and is coaching a state team just because they're the only parent that kept showing up year after year to coach. Um, If we've got those coaches that are picking athletes but have never really been taught how to pick an athlete, um, or again, you know, we've, talked about a bit earlier, the idea of not really understanding what the pathway looks like at higher levels. Um, We just kind of assume that any coach that's in a selection position knows what they're doing, knows how to select athletes, understands, you know, athlete development and nonlinear development and all of those different aspects that we know go into a high performance athlete. Um, And, yeah, when we look at how coaches are recruited at the high level, 
like you said, it comes down to performance. Very few organizations are going to hire a coach that doesn't have a winning record. Um, very few organizations are going to hire an inexperienced coach um, or yeah, maybe one that, yeah, you've been really successful in the past, but last season you lost all 25 games. Um, it, it's, it is such a cutthroat world in coaching. And you know, as you said, at the high performance level, that makes sense. That, that is what we're here to do, right? Yeah. Is win. Um, but I think, yeah, again, it's really important to look at yeah, who is picking these athletes and why. We need to put more emphasis on identifying what it takes to be a good talent identifier, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, Yeah. We we just want to make sure that these coaches, yeah, again, have those right skills in the same way we need to make sure that athletes have the right skills. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned uh, Tom Brady earlier. You know, if you go back and look at his pathway, like his developmental pathway, Hey, he was not a highly touted uh, quarterback early in his career. I mean, when it came to the draft, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we've all read the story about how, how he came through and he's not the only one. He's not the only player who's turned out to be an incredible legacy type player who really didn't have, you know, a high showing at those critical sort of talent ID periods. So that's something I think that it's just fascinating to watch. And, and I don't know, I don't know if if there's a simple formula here, but one thing I think that kind of makes sense in my mind, Dr. Roberts, and see if what you think about this is, you know, we know that athletes develop at different rates. So whether we're looking to fill a basketball team or a volleyball team, maybe golf or maybe a competitive sport or, or whatever it might be, um, we pick the players who um, will fit the bill right now, who seem to be ready right now. With that in mind, we have to be highly conscious about the potential development of the players that don't get selected right now. And I think that might be one of the big misses in our sporting model at this point in time. Do you think that's a fair, a fair um, analysis? Yeah, I think so. I think we need to look at, you know, the, the baseball system with the minor leagues, you know, that that's essentially what that is. That's kind of a catch for those players that didn't make it into the majors. They haven't made it to that top level. There's still somewhere for them to be sitting and developing. Um, and, you know, when the time is right, if the time is right, they'll be pulled up into those higher levels. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, again, right place, right time. But if we've got other systems in place to allow athletes yet to continue to develop if they're not ready at the right time. Um, you know, I look at Australia's club sports system. We have a really strong club sports system. Anybody can just go play sport, you know, whenever they want, no matter what level they're at. So if you're a top level player, um, but not quite making that national team or the rep team or whatever, there are options for you, which is where a lot of these, um, what I view sometimes as potentially being better coaches are sitting. Because again, if we're judging coaches and trying to put them into top level coaching positions based on their win-loss record, and we're losing track of whether they're actually able to develop athletes appropriately, um, then we're kind of expecting two different things. Um, you know, we're asking coaches at one level to develop, but then saying, but you also need to be winning if you want to move up through the levels. Um, I know this is kind of off topic from the question you asked, but I think it's a really important point that I think we need to start, you know, when we look at our athletes, if we have an athlete that's in a junior level team that a scout sees and says, yep, they're really talented, they're pretty raw, but 
they're talented, they've got something. That athlete will potentially be invited to development camps and be given scholarships and all kinds of things to help this athlete develop to their top level. We don't do that with coaches. We just assume that the best coaches are going to produce top-level athletes every single time. But I would argue that there are some coaches that are coaching in a sport or in an area where there just aren't any good athletes. Um, And I've had somebody say to me before that, well, if they're a good coach, they're going to be able to turn these athletes into good athletes and they're going to be able to turn them into winners, to which I kind of say, well, if that's the case, why do we focus so much on talent ID? If a good coach can turn any athlete into an expert athlete, into a top performer, why do we care about talent ID? Shouldn't we just be looking at coaches? But if we're looking so hard at talent ID to try and find the right athletes that can excel to that level, then, yeah, surely we should be looking for that in coaches too. Like I use Australia as an example. You know, We probably have a bunch of talented snow sport coaches out there, but we just don't have any snow sport athletes <laughs> or not enough to right. be producing that level of talent. Um, So yeah, I think we just need to look at both sides of that equation. We can't put everything on the athletes to be talented. We need to find the talented coaches, but at the same time, we need to be developing the coaches in the same way that we're developing the athletes. They need that same level of support. Bingo. And I think that right there is the crux of everything, you know, not, you know, the, the, uh, the the coach who's in the professional levels, obviously they've gone through the ranks and they've obviously worked their way there and, and bless them for doing that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that winning coach in the NFL or the premier rugby league or the premier soccer league or whatever it might be, doesn't mean that coach would be a great developmental coach for 13 or 14 year olds. Sometimes they're the worst coach possible for that age group. So you need those coaches. And one of the conversations that I'm catching wind of more and more, and I've actually been part of this conversation a couple of times is is uh, organizations now, and especially in baseball, because it's a very special, beautiful, you know, long-term development sort of a, a model that, that they have. They're really focusing on getting the right coaches in the right place. The, the interesting thing, the human side of it is, though, all those coaches want to be in the big leagues, you know, it, 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 so they all want to get up there and move up where they're with their players. So you've got this conundrum where, you know, the players are turning over, Coaches also turn over because they move up the ranks or go to a different organization or whatever it might be. And you have to have that succession planning, whether it's a national sport or, or a professional sport or even a developmental sport. It's really, really important. So, so uh, in closing here, Dr. Robinson, fantastic discussion today, by the way, like just, just off the charts, interesting and, and, and really interesting. Where, where do you think we're at? And, and what do you think, you know, based on where we're at, you know, in in global the global picture in the big picture, uh, where do you think we need to go from here? Focus on the coaching more. Obviously, maybe is one of the areas that we really need to to concentrate on. So, well, my bias is clearly that we need to focus more on the coaches. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But I think we need to work more with you know sporting organizations to try and incentivize coaches to stay in that developmental pathway. I think we need expert coaches coaching our under-11s, coaching our under-15s. Again, to use an Australian example, swimming. We have expert learn-to-swim teachers that teach our eight-week-old babies through to our two-year-olds, and that's what they do. They are elite at what they do, but they would probably not make great top-level coaches and vice versa, like you were just saying before. But I think we need that at every level. We need to incentivize coaches to find their niche and stick in it. 
we're always going to have coaches wanting to make it to the next level and all that kind of thing. And if you want to be a coach full time, if you want to make enough money off coaching yet to be able to do it full time, you basically have to aim for those high performance levels. But yeah, like I said, I, I think we need to find some way to get some full time coaches in those development levels to, yeah, again, incentivize coaches for creating good athletes and developing them as athletes and as people, not necessarily creating gold medals. Yeah, no, very, very good point. Very good point. And I love the idea of expert coaches at different levels, not just coaching the athletes, but also maybe mentoring mentoring coaches in that area as well. How valuable would that be? What an incredible position that would be uh, for sport and sport development, but also as somebody who's interested in sport, interested in coaching and player and athlete development to be able to work with with athletes at some level of the developmental model, but also mentor coaches. So we have that succession planning. What a beautiful wheel of performance that would be. Yeah, we know that coaches learn, like I know we've done the research, we know that coaches learn so much more from each other than they do from anywhere else. So, yeah, setting up a mentorship program, something like that, you know, even you know, for me as a coach developer, this is what I do all day. I still learn more from the coaches yeah. every time I speak to them. Um, so, yeah, I think we just need to yeah, create more opportunities for coaches to interact and yet yeah, learn from one another and across sports and across levels. We need to teach those high-level coaches that – they can't, like, it's not only other high-performance coaches they're going to benefit from. They will learn from your under-13s coach as well. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Dr. Alex Roberts, another Grand Slam home run here on Crush Performance. Really appreciate your time, all the research you're doing, and the incredible conversation. What a great, what a great conversation this is. Look forward to many more to come. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Okay, there you go, everybody. Listen, I've got to leave you guys to this one. There's just so many takeaways here from uh, Dr. Roberts that we're going to have to go back and listen to this one again. The podcast will be posted coming up here this Wednesday, so you can get it there. Check it out at crushperformance.com. But this is one of those ones that is uh, worth a re-listen. Well, every episode ultimately has that potential for sure. But we're really, really short on time, so I've got to get going here. Uh, But I have to thank Dr. Roberts for this. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please go back and listen. Let's discuss this at length on next week's episode because it'll really, really set us up for the grand finale here as we wrap up 2021. All right, we have got to get out of here. Hey, drop us a line if you have any comments on this or any of our other episodes. And we'll talk to you next week. Crush out. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. Radio Influence. Dot com.